you'd give me your attention for just a few moments, I want to take you to the book of Jude. There's only one chapter, so you're not going to get lost. If you don't even know where Jude is at, just go to Revelation and come back one book. Brother Cheryl, thank you also for your hard work. You know what amazes me is these men have climbed up and down scaffolding on a daily basis, and I know their knees are not what they used to be, but they've done it because of the love and the work of God, and I deeply appreciate that. Jude chapter 1 and verse number 11. I must tell you tonight that I have a heaviness on my heart. I don't want to preach a heavy message, but I do feel a solemnness in my spirit. I believe God wants to speak to us from the Word. Jude chapter 1, verse number 11, and it simply reads, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Woe unto them. Anytime you see that three-letter word, woe, you better stop and pay attention because God has just sent up a red flag. He just sent up not a caution but a red flag. Stop and listen to what I'm about to tell you because it can be life-changing, it can be life-directing, and it can affect your eternity. Woe unto them, for they go after the way of Cain. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about the way of Cain. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We live in a very strange time as far as the church is concerned. I don't know when the church has ever had the liberties in America that we have tonight, and yet at the same time, I don't know of a time when the church has become biblically illiterate, if I could use that term, and spiritually ignorant of the will of God. There's a great move in our culture and in our world to become relative. It is a pressure that is upon churches across denominational barriers to become relevant to their world and relevant to society. Everybody that I know of that's made any kind of adjustment in their spiritual walk with God, when I have questioned them Their reason for doing that is so they could be more relevant to the time. I am not tonight so interested in being culturally relevant as I am in being cross-relevant. And by that I mean the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross and culture have never gone together. 
The cross has never fit, even in the times of Scripture. The cross was not accepted. It was a stumbling block. It was a barrier. It was something too difficult for them to put their mind around. And yet, when God wanted to relate to a world that he had created, he did it by means of a cross. And that cross has been at odds with the culture from that day until now. And so I am not tonight interested in making this church culturally relevant, although I do believe that we must be aware of the culture in which we live. But what I feel pertinent for us tonight is that we become cross-relevant, that whatever we do and the actions that we take as a church, they would be governed not by the world or the culture that we live in, but by the cross of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I believe that when Jude began to write this short letter to the early church, I believe from the very beginning of what you read of, of his words, it was his intention to write a treatise on the faith. He talked about not departing from the faith that was once delivered. But in the midst of that, that effort to relate to them the, the importance of the faith, it became, um, he, he became aware of the elements that were working to destroy that faith. And so there is a shift in the tone of his letter, and it becomes very heavy. And he addresses different men and those through centuries of time that have tried to relate to God on their own terms and how they failed. And he goes through this litany of things that happened that did not work reminding them that it doesn't matter what culture you live in. What matters is faith in Jesus Christ. And that he become the center and the focal point of everything that you do. And I believe that it was his intention to write a treatise on their faith that was shared by all of the Christians of that time. But that task had to be laid aside in the view of the rise of men whose conduct and thought were contrary to that cross and to the Christian church. And in view of this situation, the need was not so much to expound the faith as it was to rally these Christians to the defense of their faith that they would not be ashamed of what they believed and held to be true, that they would not allow a culture to press them into a place that they were willing to compromise the things that God had given to them concerning salvation and the blood of Jesus and all of the other essential parts of the Christian faith. 
certain men who had been uh, had had uh, worked their way into the mainstream of the church, and they began to insinuate that the church was was bigger than the cross and it was bigger than even Jesus Christ that it needed to be more relevant and so and as a course of action there were attitudes and there were spirits that were embraced and there were doctrines that were left and walked away from and watered down that had made the church what it was and so Jude writes to correct and give them a proper understanding that God is not going to overlook his plan just because of the culture that you live in. Your culture is never going to fit in with the purpose and the plan of God. Our culture has got to fit in with his plan, but his plan will never fit in to their ideologies. And of the many spirits that were attacking the faith, Here was one that Jude mentioned that was most dangerous because it shrouds itself in religious clothing and it carries itself in the garments of so-called churchanity. Cain was a man like you and I, and he certainly was not the abnormal monster that so many of us have grown to view him as. I believe, on the contrary, that Cain was a religious man, but he was religious in his own way. Instead of listening and following the dictates of God that evidently had been shared with him through his father and his father's experience from a garden. There was something lost in the transfer and Cain decided that you could still be religious but not be so narrow-minded and bigoted. And so this epistle that, that Jude writes is to to address a spirit that rises in every time and it rises against the church in all seasons and it is that way of Cain. It is the idea that whatever God may have said, there are other ways of getting through to God. And now Cain comes along and he is not some monster but he is religious and he is polite and he is accommodating and he has accomplished and perhaps in some ways he is a model man. But there was something at odds with God. And that was simply this, that when Cain come to God, he ignored what God had instructed. And he chose to worship God on his own terms. And so he worshiped him, but not with a believing heart. He came to church. He dressed up just like you and I dressed up today. And he came and he offered his sacrifice, but it wasn't a sacrifice that was connected to the will and the purpose of God. And when you go back to the book of Genesis and you read the life of Cain, you will find that there were three things that stand out about the way of Cain. Number one, the way of Cain is a way without atonement and without blood. He recognized God. 
walked. He was not ignorant of God. He recognized that God was the creator and that God had made him and God was due a certain benevolence and God was due a certain worship. And he came and he reared an altar and he offered his sacrifice to God. But God would not receive it because his sacrifice was not after the will and the plan of God. He recognized God, but he didn't want God's plan in his life. And so he brings his offering. It was valuable. It was costly. It was the first fruit. It was beautiful. It was attractive. It would make anybody sit up and pay attention. He came recognizing God's claim on him as a creator and he reared this altar and he laid upon the altar the things that were appealing not to God, but that were appealing to him, the things that he felt good about, the things that he thought God ought to be impressed by, the things that he thought should have gotten the attention of God, and God ignored him, because God is not looking for what you can bring, God is looking for the obedience that you will bring when you come to the altar, no matter what God required, decided with his own mind to come up with his own plan. God said, I want blood as a part of your sacrifice. I want blood as a part of our relation. But when Cain came, though he recognized God, he refused to accept the plan of God. And he came in his own way. It was eye candy. When you looked at what was on Cain's altar, it looked very attractive. And anybody would have stepped back and said, oh, we, we need to applaud that man. He is religious. He is doing something good. It was there that God drew a line. You see, on the other side was the altar that appealed to God. And it was not beautiful. It was plain. As a matter of fact, it would turn your stomach if you look too close because on that altar was not the beautiful first fruit and all of the harvest that could be brought but on that altar was a slain lamb and red blood was dripping off of the corners of that altar and it was his lack of consciousness of what God wanted from him that got Cain in trouble I have come to tell you that we live in an hour when men are trying to do away with the blood of Jesus Christ but I've come to tell you tonight that there is nothing that can wash away my sin but the blood of Jesus and whether my culture that I live in accepts that or they like that it doesn't matter the Bible said that that God wanted that kind of sacrifice and that's the sacrifice that I must be willing to give. It was his lack of consciousness of the need of an atonement in his life that got him in trouble with God. There are a lot of people that call themselves religious but they never repent. They're religious, but they never bow their knee. They're religious. They go to a, an assembly every Sunday. They dress up 
in their finest and they parade themselves before God as if God is supposed to pay attention, that God's supposed to be impressed that I bought my shoes at that store and my suit at that place and I drive this kind of car and I live in this kind of house. God said, I don't care if you live in a mud hut or a mansion. When you come to me, you better make sure that your sacrifice has some blood in it because that's what I'm looking for. There is no substitute church for the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't care how generous you are. I don't care how honest you are. I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care what kind of philanthropist you are. If there is no blood in your life, there is no pleasing to God. Amen. What can wash away my sin? But the blood of Jesus. The offering of those things was not sufficient for God, and they were not sufficient for God's will. Cain came in a mind that was selfish and self-centered. He made church about himself. It was what he liked. It was what appealed to him. You hear me tonight. There is a spirit that is rampant in our world right now to make church relative to us and our comfort level and what we like and how we like it. We don't want certain preachers preaching. We don't want certain songs saying. As a matter of fact, there are a number of churches that are taking blood in any kind of reference to sacrifice out of every songbook because they don't want blood mentioned in their service. That's the way of Cain. It's deciding that you've got a better way to come to God than God came up with himself and that my way should be sufficient. It looks good and it looks appealing, but It was not what God wanted. He made it about himself. And that's what church has become for a lot of people. It's a social club. It's a place for them to come and feel good about themselves. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that that's not what church is all about. It's not me feeling good about myself. It's me feeling right toward my God and getting myself in the place where whatever I have to do, whether it's an offering of blood, then I'm going to give that offering of blood. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that gospel is nothing other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as long as I have breath in me, I'm going to tell you that there is nothing that can substitute for the blood, whether I like it or not, whether it makes me feel queasy or not it doesn't matter God said I'm looking for an offering of blood and Cain made church about himself and that's what so many of our churches are doing right now they're making church about them it's what they like you know what I I don't like being uh, I, I don't like standing out in in my culture. I I don't like people looking at me and saying, "Mm, that's one of them. Yeah. 
you, you know, you, there's just something about their look. And so we live in a culture where we're trying to blend in and look like the world and we talk like the world and we act like the world and we wonder why God is not visiting America with revival. I'm going to tell you why. Because we have made church about us. When we turn the table and we start making church about him, it's about his will. It's about what pleases him. You know what? Worship is not about me because worship takes something out of me when I'm tired and weary. I don't want to lift my hands, but I've come to tell you tonight that if I will give him what he desires, then he's going to give me what I desire and what I need in my life. I've come to tell you tonight that the way of Cain is a spirit that will try to make church about you. And it will make church about what you feel ought to be rather than what God says ought to be. The way of Cain not only is a way without atonement or without blood, but it is a way that is without heart and without love. Because when his sacrifice was not accepted, he grew angry. He got mad. And he let that anger start seething in him. And he grew to where he hated his brother. He hated him. And that hatred grew into a spirit until one day when they were in the field together. He rose up and he slew his brother. Our problems are not so much in our head tonight as they are in our heart. It's amazing how ruthless some people in the church can be. Amen. We don't mind getting on whatever medium we want to get on and making comments and statements about people that are blood-bought and forgiven, not realizing that when we speak of them, we speak of ourselves. Hear me tonight, there is a spirit that is alive in our world right now that is a spirit without heart and without love. It is vicious and mean. And if you're not careful living in that culture, you can take on that same kind of attitude. I want to tell you that the place where the most love ought to be felt is not at Hooters and it's not at the football game and it's not at Twin Peaks. The place where the greatest love ought to be felt is when they drive on this parking lot and they step into that foyer. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they're dressed. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care where they come from. I don't care what they drove. I don't care what they're wearing. When they step through those doors, there's got to be a heart that's wide open that said, hey, God has been good to me and I just want to share the love of God with you. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and praise Him right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I believe it's important how we act toward one another and how we treat one another. Cain's offering, you hear me tonight, was costly, but there was no heart in it. It was costly, but there was no heart in it. There was no love in it. It was just something that he felt like God ought to be impressed with. I'm here to tell you tonight, you don't, you, you're never going to impress God. 
How can you impress someone who by a mere word, just speaking one word, could cause light to be and darkness to flee? How can you impress someone that by just simply speaking the word, a whole galaxy comes into being, and by speaking a word, fish and all kinds of living beings fill the water? How can I impress somebody that by the mere nodding of his head can cause the orbit of all of this celestial world that we live in to be in its proper orbit and in its proper timing. I'm not ever going to be able to impress God but I've come to tell you that God impressed me a long time ago. He impressed me by his love that while I was yet a sinner, when I was ugly and dirty and filthy and a liar and a cheater and a murderer and a hater, the Bible said that he loved me when I was unlovable. He embraced me. He didn't wait for me to climb up where he is he said I'll come down where you are so that I can bring you to where I am my friend tonight you must hear me there's got to be something in this church that exudes the love of Jesus Christ there's got to be something in this place that lets that love pour out on the souls of men because that's what God is interested in come on love him with me right now hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God for his love. Thank God for his mercy. The way of Cain is a heart without love. And lastly, the way of Cain substitutes culture for cleansing. The culture of the mind, the development of the body. I have never seen the craze, and I'm not against any of it, but we have become so body-obsessed. It's amazing how we have become so obsessed with the human body. There are more plastic surgeons in the world right now than there are any other kind of surgeon. In Brazil, there are more plastic surgeon than there are any other kind of medical profession because we are we are obsessed with this flesh in trying to make it better make it look better make it more appealing when the truth is we need to let the flesh die and his spirit live in us. I'm not saying that I should ignore what I look like, but I am telling you that what I look like first to God comes from the inside, not the outside. And I can dress the outside up and I can impress you, but when God looks on the inside and he sees a heart that's black and darkened by meanness and hardness and my mind is self-centered and selfish God is not pleased nor is he impressed God is looking for somebody that's not afraid to humble themselves and say Lord I need you to cleanse me I need you to touch me I'm not smart enough to know how to get around it I'm not educated enough to know how to get past it I need your blood I need your cleansing I need your forgiveness I need your mercy I need your grace I need Need your help. Somebody say, I need you, Jesus. 
The culture that we live in has given itself to the learning and the mind, and I'm not against that. I, I, I applaud anybody that applies themselves. But when you have searched the world over and you have filled your mind with all that the world can give you, it will still not be enough to satisfy God. God's looking for blood. He's looking for somebody who will let their heart be opened by love. And he's looking for somebody who understands that they're dirty and filthy without him. And they're nothing without his help. They would rather be right with the world than right with God. And so they dress themselves up and they pour themselves into the pursuits of the flesh. And all the time God's shaking his head saying, no, that's not what I want. You look on the other side and the altar of Abel is nowhere near as attractive. There's not really anything about it that would make you want to go that direction. But that's him. That's the Lord. There was no beauty that we should desire him, the Bible said. There was nothing about him that made him attractive. His vision was so marred that nobody wanted to identify with him. But he said, that's what it takes for salvation. That's what it takes to redeem sin. That's what it takes to bring back that relationship that was lost in the beginning. I'm here to tell you that I am not interested in being right with the world. I am interested in being right with Jesus Christ and the world will not understand and they may mock me and they may ridicule me but I refuse to give in to that seducing spirit amen I want to be right with God people are more worried about how they will be viewed in the culture they live in than by God himself it really doesn't matter what the world thinks about me but it does matter what God thinks about me. The Bible speaks of the end time as being a time of persecution. I don't think any of us really understand that that's a possibility even for our day. There are so many people that think persecution took place a long time ago. And that's past. We're past that. Now we're accepted. But the Bible speaks of the end time as being a time of persecution. But it also speaks it of being a time of great deception. False prophets will arise. Men will rise. Antichrist will come. They will come saying that they are the Christ. I'm the way. This is what you need to believe. He said those are the things that are going to happen in the end time. But he also mentioned another spirit that I fear more than I fear persecution or deception. And that is a seducing spirit. A seducing spirit is different than a persecuting spirit. A seducing spirit is different than a deception spirit. A seducing spirit will dress up just like you do and come and sit on the pew right beside you. But every chance they get, they'll whisper something in your ear to say, you know what, he's really, he, he, he's just outdated. He, he, he's not connected to the culture in which we live. You, you don't have to believe it like that to be right with God. And if you're not careful, that seducing spirit will sit down on a pew beside you or it will whisper in your ear when you're going through life. You know what? You don't have to be that narrow-minded. You don't have to be that uh, that 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 uh, 
narrow in your belief system. There's a lot more. There's a, the, the, there's a whole world of people that love God. They may love God, but they don't love him the way God wants them to love him. Because if they did, they would go by the way of the cross. And they would not take the blood out of their message. And they would not take the cross out of their gospel. Amen. I need God to touch me today because of the deceptiveness. But more than that, I need him to touch me because of the seducing spirits that will wax worse and worse. That come alongside me and pat me on the back and say, you know what, you're a good guy. I don't know why that guy's ranting and raving tonight. You worked so hard this weekend. You're so tired. He ought to be proud that you're sitting on the pew tonight. And I am proud that you're sitting here But I want to tell you that you can do all of that and still mispleasing God. And there is a way of Cain. There is a culture mindset. There is a spirit that can work. It worked in the early church. It came in through teachings like Gnosticism and and some of the other things, which simply was the gospel plus something else. The Gnostics said that, you know, we we can't just have Jesus Christ. We've got to have Jesus plus something else. It it won't relate to a culture if you just preach Jesus. That's too narrow. You've got to have Jesus plus something else. And so that spirit slips in. And before you know it, they had made such an influence on the church that when you get to the book of Revelation, the Lord's looking at his church and he's saying, Hey, you don't look like what you look like when I first redeemed you. What's happened? And he said, What's happened is you've let the spirit of the age that you live in influence you more than you have let my spirit influence you and all that I'm doing tonight is calling Greater Life Church back to this book and telling you that no matter what the culture you and I live in might say the bottom line of my life is based upon this black book and whether they like it or not really doesn't matter because I'm not here to please them and I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please him. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of life. Stand with me if you will. The way of Cain is a reality even in the day in which we live. And I don't have to bring up a name, but I know that some of you can look around even right now and you can identify that spirit. It is a way without heart and it is a way without love. It's filled with head knowledge and brilliance, but it lacks the compassion to go across the street and tell somebody that Jesus cares for their soul. Amen. It views everybody as being saved when in the reality we live in a world that's plunging toward an eternity and many of them are without God. They may know him in one sense, but they don't know him in the biblical sense. God help me to be aware and stay away. I go back to what I said earlier. I'm not interested in being culturally relevant. I want to be cross-relevant. The blood, there's no substitute for it. I said there's no substitute for it. 
the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You say, Brother Hughes, that leaves a lot of folks out. No, it doesn't. It doesn't leave anybody out. It's just a plain, simple message. You say, Brother Hughes, my, my altar looks so good. It, 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 I mean, who would not be impressed by that? God is not impressed by what I think is beautiful. God is impressed by my obedience. Amen. Amen. And I didn't mean that as a disrespect to your ideologies. I'm just here to tell you it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what this book says. He said, Brother Hughes, I just don't know how that fits in the world. It's not going to fit in the world that we live in. Get over it. Amen. Get over it. We're not going to get to the place where the world says, Oh, I see that. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've come too far to turn back. And I've come too far to let anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ drive me in my life. I want blood on my life. I want his blood. I want blood in my life, his blood. I want love flowing out of my heart toward people, compassion, mercy. Amen. And I need cleansing. Amen. I need cleansing. I need to be willing to humble myself and say, God, I'm not doing too good today. I've, I've had a bad attitude. I've had a bad spirit. I've... I've been mean, I've been vindictive, I've I've been gossiping, I've been murmuring, I've been complaining. I need to repent. Amen. I, I need cleansing. God forgive me for, for thinking that it's okay. You know it's amazing how the human mind can justify certain things. Anybody ever been hurt before? Somebody hurt you. Isn't it amazing how your mind can justify all those vengeful things that you, in your human intellect, feel like you are justified in doing to get even? Amen. How, how we can make excuses. There are some of us here tonight that have been closer to God before in our life than we are right now. And the reason we're not as close to Him now as we were at one time is because in the whole scheme of things, we've made excuses and we've made exceptions and we've said, well, you know, God understands. God knows me. God knows me. And God does know me. But God's knowing of me does not change His expectation of me. Amen. You've got to come the waterway. You've got to come through the blood. You've got to come through repentance. You've got to come through baptism. You've got to come through a submitted life. 
holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's an ugly word in our culture. It's a word that is mocked and ridiculed every day. But you know what? It doesn't matter what the world says about holiness. What matters is what God says about holiness. And God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Brother Hughes, it just doesn't fit, I know. But it wasn't meant to fit. It was meant to be obeyed. And in obedience, there is a blessing that comes. You know, I don't know anybody that has lived a separated lifestyle that can really look back over their life and say, you know what, I feel like I've been cheated. I, I feel like I've been cheated. I feel like, you know, I've missed out. All those headaches that you get from coming off of a, a drunk, I've, I'm, I've been cheated. All, all that guilt that you have because you've been unfaithful. I don't know anybody that's ever looked back over their life of separation and said, you know what, I'd have been better off if I lived another way. Amen. Listen to me, church. This may sound as old-fashioned as old-fashioned can be. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm not going to say I don't care, but it doesn't matter. Because there is a deep, deep desire in my heart to please Him. Not you, not the culture that I live in. I like being accepted and I like people to love me. I want everybody to love me. I think most people do, but I've gotten past wanting everybody to love me because I know they're not all going to do that. And you know what? I'm not going to miss any sleep tonight. As a matter of fact, when I go home tonight, I'm going to bed. I'm not even going to worry about whether somebody hugged my neck tonight and didn't hug my neck. Amen. I'm, I'm not letting what you do to me or anybody else does to me, and I'm using me as a reference because I don't want to use you, but you understand what I'm saying? It, what matters is what pleases Him. Amen. And I don't want to get to the place where I look around and I think, man, what happened to us? What, what happened to us? I want us to look around in a few years when these young people are filling this platform and leading in this church and say, that's what I remember church was like. Amen. That's what I remember about the move of God. That's what I remember about revival. Amen. Reach over and take somebody by the hand. Holy Ghost, come right now. Lord, we need a stirring in this place.